This is a full The Now Media production. Hello and welcome back to Grundy's Grumbles. My name is Tony Grundy. Today's episode is episode four. It's entitled Big Victory, but would you buy a used car from this man? First though, I'd like to name check one or two of the many people who got in contact with me to give me their thoughts, observations, questions on Grundy's Grumbles so far. Thank you for that feedback, it's really appreciated. One of those people was Joanna Bishop, who worked with me at the launch of Reading 107 and was an excellent sales director. Bish says, I didn't realize you were nearly a famous footballer. Bish, I think the operative word there is nearly. Yeah, at 15, I could have signed for City, but I didn't, and I had a great career in radio. But anyway, lovely to hear from you, Bish. Next one was Graham Rogers, an excellent presenter at Radio 210, and now a very experienced TV presenter. He sent me a note and he said, I've just added Grundy's Grumbles to my favorites on Spotify. Good idea, thanks Graham. Really nice to hear from you. And Eleanor Grundy, yeah, a relation. My brother Nick's lovely daughter, they all live in Nantes in France. She had a really interesting point. She said, I just listened to episode one yesterday and I'm waiting to use my boyfriend's Spotify account. It was very interesting. How did you get to do this? Well, quite simply, for the Now Media, who put this uh, podcast together, I was talking with Ali Mangjak and she was actually saying to me when we did an hour long interview about my career, why don't you write a book? Actually, the conversation developed and said, actually, we should do podcasts. That's exactly why we're doing the series. But good question, Ellie. Thank you very much. Now, Mike Smith. You get all sorts of people contacting me who I haven't heard from for ages. He was a youngster who lived next door in Berkshire to me. And he now lives up in near Manchester, I think. And he runs his own very successful company. But he said, I never knew your dad was Bill Grundy. Well, that's something I've alluded to, which is, I just didn't tell people. And then he said, I was intrigued to know who you met who had the biggest presence and whether that person was in the limelight or not. Good question, Mike. Well, the answer to that from my standpoint was Philip Birch had the greatest presence one-to-one of anybody I met during that period. He taught me so much as well. He became my mentor. So he was the best example. Later, when I achieved my objective of becoming an MD, some of the young people that I encouraged, as Philip had encouraged me to do, the young talent, they impressed me with their presence. And yet they obviously at that stage were virtually unknown. And that gave me a lot of pleasure as well. But good question, Mike. Actually, Mike sent another follow-up note because he keeps on listening to these podcasts. He, ha- he said, you helped me brighten up the M6 journey today on Monday morning. Anything that can brighten up a patch of the tarmac of the M6 to me is doing a good job. So brilliant. Mike went on to say, it's really it's a really good listen. You could do with an hour and 30 minute omnibus edition to cover my whole journey on the M6. Well, we'll see what we can do, Mike. Thanks for getting in contact, though. Brenda Lowe, more of a family affair. 
my cousin from Sue's side of the family lives in Eckington near Sheffield. Brenda, like me, was born in Ashton Underline. Nothing wrong with that in Lancashire. Sir Jeff Hurst was actually born there. So there's some good people come from there. Brenda says, just listen to episode, episode two. I'm waiting with bated breath for episode three. Well, the good news is Brenda has survived holding her breath for a whole week because she got in contact to tell me how much she enjoyed episode three. Thanks, Brenda. As we could say, nobody has been hurt in the making of these Grundy's grumbles so far. Anyway, where we left off with the radio story was, I was at Radio Victory, and I still am at this point, in Portsmouth, and the family was dealing with the fallout from Dad's interview with the Sex Pistols. To be honest, I've had enough talking about that. I think you've got the picture on it. It wasn't a great time for the family and certainly wasn't a good time for Dad. Actually, after, after that time, which was um, December 76, life at Radio Victory was very busy and Sue and I were enjoying life in our house near Chichester. Sue worked at St Richard's Hospital, actually in Chichester. It was a lovely part of the world. When we weren't working, and we were working a lot, we enjoyed life on the coast. Having said that, life at Radio Victory was never dull. Obviously, the first year had not gone too well in revenue terms, as I guess I wouldn't have been there otherwise. Quite a few people had come from Capital for the launch, with a view to having a great time on the South Coast. And I think, to be honest, some of them enjoyed it a bit too much, let's put it that way. As I said last time, the reason I got the sales director job was the guy who was launch sales director called Kevin. And for the life of me, I can't remember his second name. Maybe somebody who's listened to this will remember. He'd come from Capital as well. A nice lad, but he'd done, been done for drink driving. And he'd been demoted by the managing director to sales executive. What that actually meant was, I was starting the new job there. He was in my sales team. How good was that? That made for a very interesting early challenge for me. I had a conversation with him, as you can imagine. I said, look, Kevin, I'm sure this is not as not easy, just as it isn't for me. Uh, not easy for you, just as it isn't for me. But I'm working on the basis you will be moving back to London soon. Am I right? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, in the meantime, you are part of the sales team. You're gonna to have to find your way around by bus, taxi, whatever, but I want you to do the best possible job you can. Are you with me on that? And he said, yeah. I said, he's a good lad. And he did go back to London. So that sorted that one out. Actually on the station, being in charge of promotions as well as revenue meant I could get a lot sorted out. For instance, square shaped car stickers, very basic because that's the cheapest cut. And actually the existing car stickers, I think I mentioned were being sold from reception at 50p a time. Hardly anybody had them in their cars, but they were beautiful car stickers, about seven different colors, incredibly complicated uh, cut. But, and they didn't stick in the cars. So that was complete madness. So I changed all of that and we had 257 square shape and we got them in loads and loads of cars, just like Piccadilly. And we were everywhere with OBs, audience and revenue really started to go up. 
Uh, one of those OPs, and I do remember it, it was a, a charity mud fight down on the south coast near Bognor, I think. And to this day, I still have got a floater in my right eye. And that was caused by somebody throwing a mud ball that hit me right in the eye. Ended up going to the opticians and everything. So whatever was necessary for the cause, we were there. In sales terms, I wanted to increase the spend of leading clients, quite naturally. One such example of a client was the departmental store in Portsmouth called Lamports. Their MD, commercial director, was a guy called Robin Brisland. His style was lots of shouting at just about everybody. He was a bully, but the store was doing exceedingly well, so he had an immense amount of power. He particularly enjoyed haranguing media people to get an even better deal than the one he already had. Victory had a sales executive called Mike Mortimer, who looked after Lamport's poor soul. I have to say, Mike, when I talked to him about it, was scared stiff of Robin. Nobody would stand up to him. And Robin would personally ring the station and speak directly to the traffic department and get them to move spots around for him to get an even better deal at peak times. I just had to tackle this issue, it was crazy. I told Mike that I would, uh, I, he would continue to get all the revenue for the account, but I would personally deal with Robin Brisland and nobody else would. I then set up a meeting with Robin. He kept me waiting in his office, but I could hear him from miles away, shouting and screaming at people as he came. I had prepared for the meeting, as you can imagine. But when he came in the room, he shouted, so how can I help you then? I said, well, Robin, we need to get one or two things sorted out. And he said immediately, snap back, like what? Well, Robin, first of all, I want to tell you that I'm going to be dealing personally with your account. I want to ensure you get the best possible value for your radio investment. I do not want you to deal with anybody else at the radio station, just me. If anything goes wrong, speak to me. If it needs sorting, speak to me. And I will show you how radio can really work for you, even better than it already does. How does that sound, Robin, I said? Silence, which as we know is golden. For one moment, and I saw him lean forward, reach out to his right and open his desk drawer. For one moment, I thought he was gonna take a gun out and shoot me. And I'm not, I, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm not, I'm not kidding. That's what I thought at the time. But anyway, after a silence, a pregnant silence, Robin said, all right then, you're on, but you better be good, big threat. The irony was Robin became a real star client. And I could even say, in quotes, friend. Two years on, he'd invited me to loads of social events with Sue. We had a great time, he was really good. Then he said one day in his office, he closed the door and he said, can I talk to you confidentially? And I said, yeah, but surprise. 
because he was a very private man. He said, can I share with you my secret plan to take my wife and my family round the world, to give up this job and do that? And we talked about it and he did do that eventually. And I just put that down as a measure to the change in the relationship over a couple of years that we had. Great guy to deal with. Not easy, but great guy to deal with. At Radio Victory, there were some really talented people. In the newsroom, we have people like Chrissy Pollard, Chris Ryder, really good journalist, did a brilliant job. Presenters like Anton Darby, Andy Ferris, Glenn Richards. They gave the station a really solid sound, which is what we needed. My PA was my secretary, uh, Liz Turner, who somehow managed to organize me because I'm sure I was Captain Chaos most of the time. We really started to, to develop a team feel. By the way, the MD I've said before was called Guy Payne. Hold on to that name because he used to do a weekly classical music program live on a Sunday evening. The staff lovingly referred to it as two hours of pain. Very cruel. Anyway, he, he understood the joke. One story that I, I didn't really tell you where the radio station was located, but it was on Fratton Road in Portsmouth. One side of the radio station, there was an undertaker's. On the other side was a pub, which we call Studio Five. And actually somehow that summed up the whole madness of commercial radio. Anyway, one day, you know, as I said, it, that, it, crazy situation, but so many crazy things happened. And one day, a crazy story for me, I was in Studio 5 in the pub with a leading client, and we were just sipping a glass, I was sipping a glass of wine, and so was he. And I suddenly remembered I was due to do a sports bulletin live, uh, uh, and just about that time. So I said, oh, I'm really sorry, I've got to do a sports bulletin, drink your wine, I'll be back in a few minutes. I ran from where I was in the pub. I ran up the stairs to my desk. I grabbed the script and I ran through to the studio, bars the door open and Chris Ryder, who was at the desk said, and here's Tony Grundy with the update from Portsmouth Football Club. And I'll tell you something, here's a big lesson because I sat down really flustered. But when you speak after you've run, well, it's not a good thing to do because it went something like this. I said, Portsmouth Football Club, and I couldn't speak. And they were killing themselves laughing in the studios. And actually for many times afterwards, that tape appeared on the Christmas blooper tape and they all had a very good laugh. So there you are, lesson for me. Yeah, so staff issues. Early one winter's evening, an irate staff member, well, with the MD, this is a true story, with the MD, when irate staff, it, it escalated to the point where we were fighting in the mud with this irate employee to try and calm him down. And it, I looked up on the, from the floor and we were looking at, we were close to the Portsmouth evening news building. And I thought, what a picture that would make. So not everything on a radio station goes to plan, all down to experience. And when I got home that evening, about nine o'clock, Sue just looked at me 
covered in mud. And I was going to say, you just won't believe what's happened today. But I, the look on our face, I don't think I dare say that. But you live and learn, as they say. Generally speaking, though, the station was now in a much stronger position, certainly by autumn 79. And just as you're thinking we've got things sorted here, the unexpected happens. Well, it did to me anyway. One of my biggest clients, Huxfords, is a, a big motor dealer there. They had Fiat, Lancia and Ferrari as the brands. Their MD and owner of the business, Paul Huxford, and Gene Denton, his marketing director, they were actually an item, invited me to meet them after work for a glass of wine. Normal stuff, we did that regularly. All very normal. When I got there though, they said, we want to tell you something really important. And I thought, oh my goodness, what's going on? And they said, Gene is going to join Gerald Ronson as their marketing director of the Ford Motor Dealership that he's got in London. And of course I said, fantastic, congratulations, Gene. And then naturally said, well, who's going to take your place, Gene? They again almost said together, we want you to take over from Gene. I was gobsmacked. They talked about the job. They said, big money, directorship. Sue would actually get a car as well as me. I was really shocked. And at, at the same time, flattered, because this was one of my leading clients. I said to them, having listened to them, I will give this serious consideration and I will come back to you tomorrow, I promise. Paul said to me, by the way, watch the centre break on ITV News tonight. It's the launch of the Fiat Mir Fury. And it was the commercial, I don't know if you remember this, but it still it sticks in my mind with all the robots and the classical music, Figaro here, Figaro there. It really was very impressive. They said to me, this is a great time to be joining the company. Next morning, I broke the news to Guy Payne. I can't say he was very happy, but I told him I was going. He arranged for me to meet the state radio station chairman who offered me far more money. Ironically, I'd asked for that some time before and it had been turned down. It was a big decision for me, but I said yes to Huxford's. Whilst it was a very tough decision to leave Victory because we we're doing so well, it turned out to be a great decision because I learned actually how to be the client. When you're in sales, you talk about the client thinking this and the client thinking that. I was actually allocating marketing budgets, sometimes because of my reaction to the particular media people, the media reps or the advertising agencies. And I guess it must have been quite fun for the radio station to pitch me, not. I had to learn, though, a whole new industry, the motor industry, which to me was very old fashioned in lots of ways, sexist, but an interesting one to be part of and a great one to learn because it's actually quite complicated. I had become known very quickly at Huxford's as the orange juice kid, quite simply because I'd made a decision because it was a time of drinking at lunchtime. I wasn't going to I wasn't going to drink alcohol at lunchtime again. 
mainly because I think it gives you an advantage if you're sober and you negotiate better because you're more alert. Everybody laughed at me for that though. The orange juice kid is, was my nickname. But because I left Victory, I no longer did the sports reporting, of course, from Fratton Park. So it gave me Saturdays free again. So I started playing football again on a Saturdays at the semi-pro club, Chichester City, nice club. And amazingly, in the second season I was there, we won the Sussex Premier Division. I thought I'd got past the time when we were winning leagues, but that was a great honour. That said, we were struggling financially and needed to build a new clubhouse and ideally some floodlights, which we hadn't got. I got co-opted onto the committee there, which was very hard work. All the time I was at Huxford's though, I have to say, whilst being involved at Chichester, I kept my eye on developments in radio. I saw that there were two big stations coming up, Bristol and Leeds. I'd love to have been MD of those when they were awarded the licenses. Anyway, 79 became a very troubled year in the motor trade, quite simply because there's a fuel shortage, a big price hike, and people were moving to more fuel efficient, smaller cars. And there was the problem. We had Ferrari and Lancia, who were big gas guzzling brands, and to a lesser extent, Fiat. So, all had gone well up to this point. On the 31st of October, it was notable, well, for four things. The first one was, for me anyway, notable because it was my birthday. Happy birthday? No. Well, anyway, it was. It was my birthday. Second thing that happened that day is Paul Huxford said, can you come in and see me? Which I did. And he said, we're going to have to cut back massively on our marketing budgets. I'm going to have to let you go. I'm going to have to make you redundant. And of course, it was a financial package, but that was one hell of a shock. And I thought, how am I going to tell Sue when I got home? Actually, for once, Sue was the first person to speak when I opened the door and she said, I want to tell you something. And I said, OK. And she said, I'm pregnant, which was for the very first time. And what a brilliant thing that was for us, but on a very strange day. And the fourth thing is, in that day's mail had arrived, and I opened it when I got home, a writ from the dodgy builder at the football club who'd actually sent that jointly and severally to every committee member, and it was for £10,000. So all of those things happened on the same day, 31st of October, 79. I've said this before already, which is, it's not whether these things happen, it's what you choose to do about them. So on that bombshell, <laughs> I'll leave Grundy's Grumbles for this week. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week because I'm going to tell you what I ended up doing as a result of it. Don't forget to give your feedback and questions on the links after this program finishes. Good speaking to you. See you later. Bye. Grundy's Grumbles with Tony Grundy is a For The Now media production. If you would like to get in touch with Tony or have any radio stories of your own, email tony at forthenow.co.uk.